Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell, here with my co-host, John Harlow, as we bring you another episode of Talking in Circles. Today we break down the Exalta. We will repeat winners 400 at the Pocono Raceway. Uh, there was the Pocono Green 250 at Pocono Raceway as well. Really, that race wasn't very interesting, but there was a lot of stuff that happened afterwards that caught our attention. Dale Earnhardt Jr. made some interesting comments this past weekend at Pocono Raceway, and of course, we take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. But first, let's break down the Exalta We Paint Winners 400 at Pocono Raceway. It was pushed back to a Monday afternoon after rain, and it rained on Sunday. Uh, pushed it back to a Monday afternoon. Beautiful day on Monday afternoon. Uh, it, it turned out to be a good finish, I should say. Not a great race, John Harlow. But Kurt Busch won the 28th, his 28th career race. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was second, Brad Kozlowski third, and Chase Elliott fourth. Your thoughts uh, on the Exalted We Paint Winners 400 at Pocono Raceway? Well, as most of Pocono races have gotten to be over the years, it turned into a gas mileage race. Who was able to stretch your fuel the best? And watching the race, now I didn't have the, the seat that you had by being there in person, but one of the things that was really cool watching the race and having Kurt with an in-car camera when they were trying to figure how he was going to save two laps of gas because his interim crew chief told him he was two laps short on the last pit stop. So Kurt would go into the turns, he'd let off early, and then he'd throw the clutch in and actually coast through the turns while everybody else is going like half pedal, stuff like that. He just coasted and wound up saving two laps, still having enough for the burnout at the end. Basically, I mean, Pocono is a great party. The racing has been better in the last four or five years since they dropped it from 500 to 400. But pretty much this week, and I think we saw the difference between the package they ran at the All-Star Race and the package they ran at the Coke 600 and they've been running throughout the season. The only thing that was interesting at Pocono was... After a yellow, the restarts, when they got into turn one, before they got to turn one, they're five, six wide on that big, huge, wide front straightaway. And somehow, most of the time, they got smart enough to get down to two wide before they got into one. Take the restarts away. I mean, it was a follow-the-leader re- follow race. I mean, there was a couple times, like when Kurt made his pass, Junior and Chase Elliott were side-by-side, side, and Bush got a great draft coming off the tunnel turn and made the pass and got by the two of them and checked out. I mean, if you were up front, you were great. If you weren't, you were hoping to be close to the front because maybe somebody might have run out of gas at the end, but there wasn't a whole lot of passing for the lead. It really wasn't. It wasn't a, uh, you know, even from the stands, John, as you guys know, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted a lot of photos. I was there this weekend at Pocono Raceway, and, and um, it, it just didn't seem like there was a lot of passing going on. I mean, it, there was a lot of – it was interesting. There was a lot of wrecks going on, and that's what was something that was interesting, John. The attrition rate was really high this weekend. You look, go back, look at the results of this race. You know, um, the best finishing car without damage was Jeb Burton in 29th. Without an issue, I should say, was Jeb Burton in 29th. You know, Kyle Busch had damage, Danica Patrick, Paul Menard, Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Landon Castle, Austin Dillon, Michael Annette, Brian Scott, and Matt Benedetto all had issues. So it was a, a very, very um, a high attrition race, and, and that led to a lot of interesting strategy at the end of that race. But uh, why do you think, John, you know, D. Benedetto hit the wall, Brian Scott hit the wall, Annette hit the wall, Austin Dillon obviously had a little bit of a different issue with brakes, uh, Landon Castle, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, all these drivers – had issues. What do you think the big issue was there? Why the attrition rate was so high on Monday afternoon at Pocono Raceway? I think there was a couple times where they were trying to go three wide when they shouldn't have. I think it was sometimes they were getting aggressive in spots where they probably shouldn't have. I mean, you don't need to be three wide coming out of 
turn one going down the short chute at Pocono at lap 70. And some of them were trying it. Part of the reason Stewart wrecked was he was in the middle. People were going three wide. Stenhouse took the air off of the front of Stewart's car, and around he went. And there was nowhere for Danica to go. And that's what happened. I mean, Stewart was running great, and that was probably my favorite part of the day, is actually getting to see Stewart look competitive. Now, the one thing that came out of it was Stewart being in that wreck. He's farther away from 30th than he was before. I mean, he lost seven points. He's 67 points back. He's getting to the point where he's almost two races out with 10 races to go until they hit, or 10, 12 races to go until they hit the chase. That win is going to be, it's a struggle to get that, but also 67 points out this far down, unless he pulls a Kyle Busch and wins three or four in a row, that's going to be a struggle. But I think part of it were people were getting aggressive in spots they shouldn't have, and I think it was people who aren't that, I mean, they're like mid-pack cars trying to feel their oats and trying to get something done because if you could make a pass on a restart, and a lot of times cautions breed cautions, and that's where a lot of these things came, unless it was like the brake issue for Austin Dillon. But a lot of it was not long after a caution where they were at it again. 907-889-8280, if you want to join the show here, talk to me or John Harlow here. Uh, I agree with you. It was just a very, you know, we haven't seen that from Pocono in a while where there was a lot of attrition. And uh, I thought it was kind of, that, that part of the race was very interesting that we saw that. And, you know, Austin Dillon came out, and he was very vocal about his race team three times in the last four weeks. They had a little bit of issue with brakes over there at RCR, and that three-car. Paul Menard didn't have a great weekend again. He looks like he's going to miss the chase. Uh, and RCR looks like they're going to, aside from Newman, who had a pretty decent day, um, they're they're having a tough go of it as of late, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. But I thought another very interesting story was the run of Chase Elliott. This is a kid, and I know his father ran really good here at Pocono, won five times, but this is a kid who never even ran at the Pocono Raceway in a cup car before this weekend, had very limited practice before they got on the race car on, on Monday afternoon, and both rookies, even Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney went out there, and they ran really good. Chase led a lot. It was definitely the most laps he's led in the race all his whole career, um, Blaney finished in the top ten. He was up in the top ten all day. Uh, I thought for those two rookies, you know, Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott, a very, very solid day. And it just emphasizes that the, the the fact in your mind that we have two really good rookies right now in the Cup Series with Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney who can run up front and be contenders for the championship. I think Chase Elliott, uh, one of the things with him, they actually were smart when they were developing him. They brought him to Pocono at 2000. Uh, 13 and put him in an ARCA car, and he won the race there. I mean, granted, he was running a Hendrick stuff, so he was a man among boys. But once you get the feel for that track, look at Denny Hamlin the first year he was there. He won both races as a rookie, and he said the key to him figuring out Pocono was doing racing on it. And there's a lot of those racing stuff where you actually feel like you get the same feel you're in the car, and you get an idea of what you need to do to throttle down. I mean, it's get, simulation in the eye racing is getting to the point where it's almost like you're in the car except having 3,400 pounds underneath you. I think Chase was smart whenever you saw him in practice, when you saw him early in the race. Who is he falling around? He's falling around Jimmy Johnson. He's falling around Denny Hamlin. He was comfortable figuring out where he needed to be. And then when he made the move and got out front, and he led more laps, Monday at Pocono than he has led in his entire career. He did it more all in that one day. I think Ryan Blaney, again, a great rookie. I mean, we've said it many a times. There are three or four more people out there like Chase Elliott and like Ryan Blaney. They just haven't got hooked up with Hendrick Motorsports or Penske Racing. And that's how they got into the, I mean, Penske found Ryan Blaney early. Rick Hendrick because Bill Elliott went to Rick and said, hey, my son's really good. He said, okay, we'll sign him to a development deal. They both got lucky. You still got your Brandon McReynolds out there, your Corey LaJoy's, your few others that are just in that same group that just haven't caught on. I agree with you, and I think it was, you know, it's refreshing to see these guys. We haven't really seen rookies come up in the Spring Cup Series 
and run really good in a long, long time and at least contend for wins, and we're seeing that, which is really nice to see. Another kind of an interesting little uh, trend that happened here at Pocono Raceway was the kind of disappearance from Joe Gibbs Racing, I guess you can say. Matt Kenseth kind of reared his head. He led 31 laps. But aside from Matt Kenseth, Joe Gibbs Racing really wasn't a factor. Denny Hamlin didn't run as good as, he, as I think everybody might have thought originally he was going to run. Kyle Busch hit the wall. Uh, there were some issues there with Martin Truex Jr.'s right front, uh, right rear tire. He had some issues. And Carl Edwards was kind of just there. He ran in the top five, top ten all day, but he never really contended for a win, never really ran up in the top two or three there all day. Um, so kind of a, a you know, Joker's Racing had a stranglehold on this season in 2016. So kind of a surprising uh, little trend we had at Pocono Raceway where Joker's Racing really uh, didn't dominate to nearly the extent we've seen him dominate uh, on, on certain tracks here in 2016 so far. I think out of all the Joe Gibbs racing cars, I'm not sure. I probably got to go back and look at it, but I think Tony Stewart's the only one in Joe Gibbs equipment that's ever won at Pocono. Kyle Busch, that's one of the two races, two racetracks on his knockoff list that he needs to win on. He hasn't won there. He hasn't won at Charlotte. Um, yeah, Kansas has never really been spectacular ago. there. Oh, I'm sorry. Hamlin won twice in Joe Gibbs equipment. I just said it 30 seconds ago. What am I thinking? Uh, Hamlin's <laughs> always been respectable there, but since they repaved it, Hamlin hasn't been the same. Whenever right. it was worn out and everything, Hamlin could hit it. Then they put that patch up in the second group of turn three, and everyone up and found that piece of good pavement. But since they've repaved the track, it just hasn't been there for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Kenseth was there. He even said it himself. He stunk on restarts. And that's where he was getting beat. I think it was a gear ratio pick where he wasn't doing as much in second gear as some of the other ones. And that might have been why he didn't start off so well. Yeah, it was it was a very interesting race that's off from Joe Gibbs Racing because, um, it, again, like I said, they've dominated completely. This is a track where horsepower plays a big factor in it, you know. But Hendrick Motorsports really does well on this racetrack. And we saw Chase Elliott. Jeff Gordon has run good here in the past. Um, you know, the Stuart Haas cars have been very good here. Um, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has won a couple of races here recently. Jimmy Johnson's won a couple of races. So the Hendrick Motorsports cars really, they've kind of figured out Pocono here recently. And, and it, it was the same, same thing was true again, where Dale and, and Jimmy ran good until he wrecked. Uh, and, and Chase was really good. They all were up front all day. So uh, aside from really Casey came, but they're all up front all day. So that was kind of an interesting little thing there and you have to wonder if it's because Pocono's not in a chase that maybe they were kind of out there trying to uh some teams trying to 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 do some things with their setups uh it's definitely something to keep an eye on for sure um uh, kind of an interesting thing coming out of the race here we uh, really what I first heard about it was on the way home about it and that was Brad Keselowski Keselowski uh we obviously if you watch the race you know what happened Keselowski there was a his team got penalized for a body modification penalty it looked like um, from video that his jackman tried to sort of push the car in with his body weight to help the aerodynamics of the number two Miller Lite Ford. Um, NASCAR brought him back down pit road. He had to send had to pit. Uh, cost him a lot of valuable time, and he had to work his way up through the field. He finished third. Might have had a chance at winning John Harlow if it wasn't for that a uh, little bit of a penalty. But the really interesting part about that whole thing was what came in after the race. So a Fox Sports 1 during the broadcast, I take it, was um, showed an incident that happened at Las Vegas where the team was accused. They said they were penalized. Fox Sports 1 said the team was penalized. It was not, they were not penalized for a body modification there, but the team was accused of a body modification penalty, which never uh, NASCAR never came, showed to be true or not. Uh, but Kozlowski won that race. And they did it again at Pocono, and Jeff Gordon made some comments, and Brad Keselowski kind of went off and said, that's because Jeff Gordon's in the booth. They need to get some people in the booth who aren't inbred to the sport and own teams and have internal knowledge because that's pretty crappy, but it is what it is, end quote. Now, to me, John, there's a lot to take from this, but Brad Keselowski announces Xfinity Series races and – owns a truck series team. Am I missing something here? I think part of it goes back to last year, whenever they had the brouhaha 
between or a couple years ago when they had the big brawl between Keselowski and Gordon at Texas. I think Brad doesn't like Jeff, and Jeff doesn't like Brad. But the one thing, listening and watching the race, that was blatant. That jack man put the jack under there, jacked the car up, and threw a shoulder into, I mean, he it looked like he was hitting a blocking sled. And if he would have hit it much harder, he might have knocked the car off the jack. You could see a huge dent in that car, which wound up pulling the flare out, giving it more side force. And they showed the highlight of Vegas, and yes, they were penalized for speeding, not for alterations to the car. But the jack man did the same thing. It wasn't as blatant, but it was there. And it just... I mean, Gordon called it correctly. He called the wrong penalty, and that's what – I mean, Gordon wound up apologizing. Sorry, it was a speeding penalty, not an unauthorized alteration of the body. But, I mean, it was flat-out blatant on Sunday. You could – I mean, if he would have hit it any harder, he might have knocked the car off the jack. And Gordon and Keselowski, yeah, they may have – bad ties but who are you going to get to announce these races let's look at the nbc crowd steve latart he came up through hendrick he's mm-hmm. got real good ties to J- dale jr jeff burton right. he came up through roush and childress and his son has a driver development deal with kyle bush motorsports and mm-hmm. soon to be joe gibbs racing down the road we're going to get this we're going to get these impartial knowledgeable announcers. That, I mean, that's a great question. Michael Waltrip, he owned, he used to own a team. He was playing exactly. announcer. Daryl is going to be so far up Mikey's butt, Mikey could <laughs> fart and Daryl will tell you what he had for lunch. I mean, <laughs> where are you going to find that guy? I totally agree with you, and I think it's something, you know, I, I read a lot of stuff on Twitter, you know, uh, one particular um, personality was saying, well, you know, you have to be unbiased with the sport. I totally agree with you. But I think when you take in Jeff Gordon, you think about Jeff Gordon in the booth, you understand to a certain degree, he's going to be a little bit biased toward Hendrick Motorsports. Rick is like a second father to him. When he was going through his divorce with, with Brooke Gordon, he stayed at Rick Hendrick's house. Um, he ran for him his entire career. The, the guy loves Rick Hendrick. And he's not going to say, you know, going into a broadcast, well, Jeff's a little biased toward Hendrick Motorsports. Anybody in that situation would be. There's no doubt about it. I, I think it's not something uncommon. I think we hear the same thing. In football, with Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys, I think when, every, when you watch Troy Aikman broadcast the Dallas Cowboys game and he, and he comments on how great of a guy Jerry Jones is, uh, he played for Jerry Jones. so He played under the ownership of Jerry Jones. So he's going to tell you how great he is because, well, he's friends with Jerry Jones. Same thing, you know, I work in baseball for, for – I worked in baseball for a while. Um, let's talk about the Chicago White Sox broadcasters. You know, you hear them all the time be partial homers. You could put it on the board. Yes, it's not uncommon in sports to have that. You have to take it with a grain of salt, though. And as long as Mike Joyce stays partial, who's a guy who is a broadcaster, who has no ties and no organization, I think that's okay. But you know Daryl Walter's going to be partial towards Toyota because Michael is Toyota forever and ever, and Jeff Gordon's going to be partial. And like you said, Latart. Burton, those guys are going to be partial towards those guys. Anything Jeff Gordon did was anything that, was that he's partial towards Hendrick Motorsports. I think he was trying to call it, and I think Brad, at the end of the day, was very, very upset that his number two team got caught. And he can't mm-hmm. tell me it doesn't mean anything because they wouldn't have done it twice. They did it at Vegas, and they did it at Pocono. They wouldn't have done it if it doesn't mean anything. I think Gordon has actually been a breath of fresh air because I think they pulled the wrong guy out of the booth, though. I think Larry Mack should be in there before DW. But I think Gordon brings a very fresh perspective. He was in the car in November. He was competitive in November. I love Jeff Burton as an announcer, but Jeff Burton had not been a contender for three, four years before he retired and got in the booth. Steve Letard, on the other hand, he was a contender with Dale Jr. I appreciate what he brings to the table. I think Latart brings inside knowledge of how to make this car work. I think Jeff Gordon brings inside knowledge of how to make this car work. 
he can tell you why he knows the difference between feeling the downforce because, like you said last year when Rick Mass joined the show, they're 2,000 pounds more downforce now than he ran back then. Jeff Gordon ran with Rick Mast. So he knows the difference between the bajillions of downforce and no downforce. He knows what it's going to do different in the car, and he can tell you that. He has the friendships with the Tony Stewart's, the Kevin Harvick's, the Jimmy Johnson's. He knows how Kyle Busch operates. He can almost get inside the head of the driver because of being in that car for 23 years and racing with everybody that's out there what they're thinking and how they're attacking the racetrack. I think it's phenomenal that Jeff Gordon is in the booth this year. I think he's done a great job. I wish they'd get rid of Daryl because his time's passed and all he wants to do is talk about him and Junior and (laughs) boogity, boogity, boogity. I mean, he makes no sense anymore. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation on anything we're talking about. I just find it funny, though, John, that you know, because goes out and says you got to find somebody impartial, and he announces Xfinity Series races on on FS1. Like they bring and up, and he a, drives a, a twenty-two car when he isn't in there. So exactly, and he owns his own truck series team, which has Penske affiliation. So it's like, how? Explain to me who you want to get that's that's impartial. I just think Kozlowski, and I understand he was frustrated because he probably, like I said, probably had a chance to win that race if you know track position was a big factor. He worked his way up. He had a really, really fast car. And what he did, the sad part was, what they did to that car probably wouldn't have mattered anyway because they had such a fast race car. They probably would have whipped the field anyway. But it took them a long time to get up to the front. They got a little bit off on pitch strategy and all that kind of stuff. So he was upset, no doubt about it. But uh, I just think, again, you know, it's a non-issue to me because I think you take it with a grain of salt. You have to know where this – I always say this. And and for some broadcasters, I'm sorry, for some of these guys who have come out here and 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 said that you know we need impartial broadcasters. Hold on a second. You're you're the same people who work for MRN or PRN or wherever uh, broadcast affiliation you want to be in. But you're the same people who say that ISC and NASCAR aren't the same company, and vice versa. Uh, to me, it's just you know you guys from the broadcasting standpoint are supposed to be impartial, and you're not. Yet you're calling somebody out for, really, who I don't think a color commentary needs to be impartial, and you're calling somebody out for that. I just think it's really, really ridiculous. But, again, it's almost a non-issue. I, I, I almost hate bringing it up because, to me, it's, it's a non-issue. I just don't think it's, it's that big of a deal. Um, I just think it was Kozlowski really upset about what happened on Monday. I think it was just Brad being Brad, Brad mouthing off before he probably even heard or viewed what happened? I think he just heard about it because he talked about it at the track, so he hadn't had a chance to watch a race. He was in the media center, so somebody told him about it, and he went off. Right. And I think it's just Brad overreacting too soon. I think, like I said, I think Gordon called it correctly, except for the penalty at Vegas. It was a speeding penalty, not the alteration to the body. But it. You see what you see, and he saw the same jack man throw the same shoulder into the body at Vegas, and he won the race at Vegas. NASCAR just caught him this time, and Brad was pissed off about it, and that's basically where it is. I think it's um, pretty stupid on Brad's part to say, hey, we need unbiased announcers, because they aren't there. There there (laughs) is no such thing as an unbiased announcer. And the best ones are going to be inbred in the sport. Forever and ever and ever. I agree with you there. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join a conversation, wasn't the only race the Sprint Cup Series race wasn't the only race at Pocono this weekend. You had a Xfinity Series race, the first time the Xfinity Series cars ever went to Pocono Raceway with the Pocono Green two fifty. It was a fifty three lap race. They were supposed to run a hundred. Range came at lap fifty three. Uh, end of the event. Kyle Larson was your winner. It was Eric Jones second. Ty Dillon third. Kyle Busch fourth. Joe Logano fifth. Elliot Sadler, Paul Menard, Brandon Jones, Daniel Suarez, and Alex Bowman rounded at the top ten. Kind of a lackluster race. And that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the situation that happened after the race between Ryan Reed and Ryan Seed. Now, for those people who did not see the Xfinity Series race and might not be knowing what I'm talking about, Ryan Reed and Ryan Seed got into a, a little bit of an incident on the racetrack. 
Reed was on the inside of, of Sieg. He came up, whether he, whether he lost control or not, a little bit of control or not, it's debatable. He came up, slid his 16 car into number 39 car, Ryan Sieg. Sieg hit the outside wall, really ending, ruining Ryan Sieg's day. Um, and this wasn't the first incident that C, Reed and Sieg have gotten into. Um, and Ryan Sieg runs for a small, a family-ran RSS racing um, Ryan Shane, Shane Sieg Racing. It's a family-ran organization, uh, a team that has maybe six race cars, uh, ten employees, and Ryan Reed runs for Rash Fenway. We all know Rash Fenway Racing, major conglomerate organization, um, and they run near each other every week. And the fact that that happens and you're near each other every week, I'm sure Ryan Sieg is getting sick of running with Ryan Reed every week because Ryan Reed seems to always be in an incident. Uh, this even after the Sieg, the incident with Ryan Sieg, he got into it with he got he wrecked himself and then proceeded to come down a racetrack and collect another family ran organization in Jeremy Clements. Clements' team and Sieg's team are going to take the cars they ran at Pocono to Michigan, and that, now they can't do that. They have to go back to North Carolina, get a car, and bring it there. Um, lots of Ryan Sieg went off with, to the media, telling Ryan Reed's only there for sponsorship. He's uh, brain dead or he doesn't have a brain, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot to take in there, John Harlow, but what were your thoughts there on the Ryan Seed and Ryan Reed incident? Well, I missed the race because, I mean, like I've said, I'd rather watch paint dry most of the time than the Xfinity race because it's just basically cup light. Um, but I did went whenever we talked about what we are going to do for the show tonight, I went and watched it. And, yeah, I could see Ryan Sieg being ticked off because they have run into each other a few times like that. But I was watching it through Ryan Reed's in-car camera, and they were coming through the tunnel turn, and you're too wide. Too wide in the tunnel turn is really not indicative or something conducive to people who don't know what they're doing at Pocono. And they didn't have many practice laps at all, and they're really not – locked in at Pocono. I mean, these are guys struggling for 11th and 12th in the cup, I mean, in the the Xfinity chase. So, in other words, they're 15th to 20th place guys on a regular basis because you throw four or five cup guys in, they're going to beat them on a regular basis. I think it was a a wiggle by Reed. It didn't look intentional. But I can see where Sieg is ticked off because Ryan Reed's just going back and pulling another car out of the garage. His 10 guys have to try to rebuild that thing and get it on the truck Thursday to get it up to Michigan so they can practice and qualify Friday and Saturday. It's a tough deal, especially when you're a small, self-funded team trying to make a living at this. And you're going against a conglomerate like Roush Fenway, which goes back to the typical John Harlow, here we go again, I think the cup teams need to get the hell out of the Xfinity t- Xfinity series. If Be a cup team or be an Xfinity team. Don't be both. 917-889-8280. If you want to join in the conversation here on the Ryan Reed, Ryan Sieg incident or anything you want to talk about from Pocono. Um, it, listen, it, like like I said before, there's a lot to take in. I, I just told you, and, and um, I, I think – Ryan Sieg is has done a phenomenal job this year. Uh, RSS Racing has done they've done way better than I think a lot of people expected. You know they're basically a solo car operation. They run a second car, but due to funds they have to start and park that second car. And right now, when you look at the points after Pocono, Sieg is 12th in the standings. Uh, he's ahead of now Jeb Burton because Jeb Burton lost his ride and he will no longer accumulate points. But Ryan, but Ryan Sieg's got to keep on running and keep on going out there and doing the best he can to make the chase. And you can say, well, he's not going to have a chance at the championship anyway. And you're correct on that. He probably won't have a chance. He's going to be a very big, long shot at best. However, getting into the chase, getting the recognition of being a chase driver will get that team some sponsorship, a lot, something they don't have a lot of. And it will get them something, uh, help them in the future to improve. Um when you look at where Ryan Reed right now is, he's 10th in points. He's on the top 10 this year. They had a top one top 10 all last year, and that was his win at Daytona. Ryan Reed's really underperformed that 16 car in, in the last couple of years. He's caused a lot of wrecks, and he's there because he has sponsorship from Lily Diabetes. Let's just lay it on the line there. They funded the operation fully funded, and Jack Roush has got him there for Lily Diabetes. His first year wasn't nearly as bad as the last two have been, the last year and a half have been, 
but he's been terrible. Um, and I'm sorry. It's just I understand where Ryan Reig is coming. Ryan Sieg is coming from. Excuse me. I really do. He's he's a guy trying to make it work. And you could tell even when Jeremy Clements he got involved in the wreck later on with Jeremy Clements, and Jeremy Clements wasn't happy about it because this is something that and and it, he didn't even really touch Clements. He just came down a racetrack and. and gotten Clements' way, but it's something you sit there and go, you know what, this kid is out here every week tearing up race cars, and he can go back into Roush Fenner Racing and pull out a car that's probably just as good, if not better. We don't have that, we don't have that fortune to do that over there at Roush Fenner Racing, or over there at Jeremy Clements Motorsports or RSS Racing. Uh, we don't have that type of thing, and it's frustrating, as can be, and you feel for those guys because they're putting out their heart and soul and all the money they can and they've gone virtually, you know, using all their money to run the six-minute series team to try and live out a dream. And they've outperformed, in my opinion, they've outperformed Ryan Reed this year. They really have, uh, both of them. And it's very frustrating to see a kid out there who is there because of sponsorship running in top-notch stuff, tearing it up, and you've done everything you could do right, and yet you still get involved in somebody else's stuff. It's got to be very frustrating for those guys. I understand completely where they're coming from. It's getting tough anymore because a lot of it's becoming buyer. It's becoming buy a ride because it costs so much to run anymore. It just the payoff for winning or payoff for racing isn't there. I mean, you look probably, and they don't even publish the purses anymore. But if you look, if you win the Xfinity race at Pocono, if you won $100,000, you're lucky. And that doesn't really cover the cost of building a car, leasing an engine, your tire bill for the weekend, travel to and from, your hotel rooms to and from. It just doesn't cover it. And then you're expected to compete as a small guy trying to get build your name get through the system so you can possibly get to the cup series someday and you're going against a guy who buys a ride and the ultimate buy a ride guy throughout all these years how many cars has john west townley wrecked in arca truck xfinity i think he even wrecked a couple cup cars here and there but he had zaxby's he has the family business behind him He's look at Paul Menard. Paul Menard's gotten better through the years, but if John Menard wasn't Paul Menard's dad, he'd still be running snowmobiles in Wisconsin. Yep. Danica, right. it would not be here without GoDaddy. Yep. And, and it and just it's getting to the point where it's how much money do you have and how much can you bring to the table? We were talking about it before the show. Ryan Newman is in a contract year at RCR. Ryan Newman is a quality top 10, top 15 race car driver. Ryan Newman is steady. Ryan Newman will not tear up equipment. He is the ultimate guy for a team, and he's probably on his way out because Pawpaw's second grandson's ready to go cup racing, and Childress is going to field that ride for Ty Dillon. So Ryan Newman's going to go out next year the inn's full at Hendrick Motorsports. The inn's full at Joe Gibbs Racing. The inn is full at Stuart Haas Racing. Penske's got his two, and he's already run for Penske once. He's got his two plus Blaney. And Furniture Row, if they expand, it's going to be Eric Jones sitting in the car for a year or two until he's ready to go to Gibbs. So what does Newman have to look forward to? Is Richard Petty Motorsports going to tell Eric Almirola to go away? Because Brian Scott bought his ride. Yep. Could he end up and in front row motorsports where that's crap equipment? I mean, what's yeah. Newman going to do? He's a top 10, top 15 driver who could end up being your next guy in the broadcast booth. Well, I think Newman's good enough to hang on to a decent ride, whether that'll be at RCR and RCR figuring out a way to get a fourth car in their stables uh, for Ty Dillon or whether um, 
Chip Ganassi hires him to ride, drive the one car because McMurray's in the contract here. Hell, whatever you want to speculate. But there's no doubt that buying a ride now, and Mike Skinner talked about this on Sirius XM Radio a couple of weeks last week, um, but buying a ride now is more ex- expensive than it's ever been in this sport. And what we need to start to do is lower the cost of these race cars and try and get the sponsorships back in the ownership's hands instead of the driver's hands. Um, and I think that will help the sport a lot. I really do. 917 uh, to call in and join the conversation. Uh, and Skinner talked about that as well on that on, on that show. And I thought he made great points there. Um, and it's a shame, you know. But, John, do you have any problem with what happened? I, I know a lot of people were kind of sitting there going, eh, we're old school guys. You and I have watched the sport forever and ever. Um, you know, we remember when Jimmy Spencer punched Kurt Busch in the nose and Jimmy made the classic line, he dented my fender, so I dented his face. Uh, but do you have a problem with, with violence in the garage area at all? I, I, personally, John, and I don't want um, to, you know, affect your opinion on this at all, but personally, I love it. I think it shows passion, and that's something we need in this sport. Passion, uh, true grit passion. You know, Ryan Siegel, like we said, he's out there running – trying to make it, and, and he's frustrated as, as could be. That's why he went after him. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't a skit. There was no cameras around him. He just went after him because he was mad at him. And you can't help, you know, I, the way I look at it is, if I was in Ryan Seag's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. Now, he doesn't have a big sponsor to go tell him what to do, so maybe that had a lot to do with it as well, but um, I, I liked it, John. I thought it was kind of a throwback, a little bit of a throwback uh, to a couple well, of years ago. I... I grew up in the throwback days. I've been to many a dirt track where you saw a fist fly at the end of the night. I've also seen where the fist flying at the end of the night ends up getting a friend of mine who was killed because they had a bar fight. The guy went out to his truck and got a gun and shot him. So it just, if it was on the street of Concord, North Carolina, that's called assault. I can understand them pushing each other, being very vocal with their upsetness for each other, but I don't think unless it's protecting your own life, there's no re- no reason for violence in the garage area. It doesn't set the right tone. I mean, granted, NASCAR became popular because of the 1979 Daytona 500 when Kale Yarborough's face ran into Bobby Allison's fist. Right. But I don't think there's any place for it. Um, I could see them grabbing, shoving each other, all that stuff. That's fine. That shows passion. But the minute fists start flying, that's assault. I don't care where you're at. And I've got two kids where I'm trying to teach them lessons, and they see this, and if they see the highlights or whatever, and people are punching each other, what am I going to explain to them? Well, they're they're wrong. That's assault. Well, why aren't they in jail? And that's one of the things that I don't care what it is. Assault is assault. Here's how I look at it, and I, I agree with you on that. But here's how I look at it. To me, it's better than going out there and taking somebody out at 200 miles an hour and hitting the outside wall. That's the way I look at it. I think that's that. It, to me, when you do that with you know at at, at Talladega and you turn somebody because you're mad at them. I'd rather have a little skirmish in the garage area than I would as far as you turning somebody at 200 miles an hour with 40 cars coming at them. Uh, I'd much rather have a little skirmish in the garage area than that. That's the way I look at it. And, um, you know, these guys have to get their emotions out some way. And I don't mind them going to the media at all, like you said, uh, the skirmishes and stuff like that. And I totally see your point. I do. But the way I look at it is I'd rather have a fight than see somebody go out there and – turn somebody around at 200 miles an hour in, in, in dangerous equipment where, you know, other people get caught up in it who have nothing to do with it. Uh, I just think that is a better alternative than what we've seen uh, in years past with turning people on a racetrack. That's the way I look at it. I think turning people on the racetrack is just as wrong as all get up. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm a fan of if you'll be able to pass somebody, pass them. Don't push them to get don't push them out of your way to get out of the way i mean you saw that early in the race with logano and ryan newman logano tapped newman so he'd get to the low line of turn one 
Newman beat him up on the backstretch and pushed him out of the out of the groove. Logano held on to it, didn't go into the wall, but I mean, those cars are weapons. You don't need to use your front bumper to get where you need to go. I mean, it's like if you're driving down the street. If you hit somebody with your front bumper, guess who's at fault? You are because you don't have control of your car. And that's one of the things. Most of them, they don't have control of their car. They have too good a control of the car, and they're doing it intentionally. And that's when they need to park people. Well, and to me, again, and, and to get into the details here before we get off the su- subject, there's a difference between roughing somebody up and passing them and blatantly taking them out and wrecking them. There's definitely differences between that. And um, to me, when you bull- get mad at somebody and you say, you know what, I'm going to run you down into the, to the straightaway and take you out and cause a big wreck, to me that's wrong. Um, but if you want to bump somebody into turn two and get around them and move them out of the racetrack, I don't have a big problem with that. Like what Jeremy Mayfield did in 2000 at Pocono, one of the most famous finishes in Pocono history, what Jerry Mayfield did to Dale Earnhardt Sr., I don't have a problem with that either. I think uh, there's a difference between rubbing, rubbing, roughing somebody up and completely blatantly wrecking them. Uh, and to me, we've seen, I think there, there's a, a certain group of people who like the wrecking on the racetrack. I'm not one of them. I'd rather sit there and go, you know what, you have a problem? Let's face to face. If it gets physical, okay. But at least you're not taking out somebody else. You're not getting involved on pit road, which we've seen uh, numerous drivers do, uh, you know, spin out on pit road or, or try and wreck somebody on pit road and the craziness that goes on there. To me, that's all That's all worse than what we saw here on Saturday afternoon in the Xfinity Series race at Pocono Raceway. Um, let's talk about Dale Earnhardt Jr. for a second. He made some interesting comments this weekend at Pocono Raceway. With Hen- about Hendrick Motorsports and his future with the organization and his future in NASCAR. Um, I-, I believe it was Frontstretch.com had it, where they said, in, in an interview, Dale Earnhardt, said, Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, and I quote, well, I think I have some interest to do that, which means um, get, sitting down with Rick Hendrick and talking about his contract. It's something we haven't started to talk about. We will see what Rick wants to do with his direction, what the future is for the team. We'll see if that lines up with what I want to do. I don't know if I will race as long as my dad did, but I had a lot of fun over the last, last couple of years, and I would hate to walk away from such a good opportunity prematurely. But when it comes to, down to it, Rick is the boss, and what his future and direction for the team is important to me. I'm sure we will get talking about it and what we want to do with the contract in the next six months. End quote. A couple of interesting comments there um, from Dale Hunter. Most notably, the one thing I found was he said he's not going to run as long as his father did. Now, for those of you who don't recall how old Dale Earnhardt was, Dale Earnhardt, when he got killed at the Daytona 500 in 2001, was 49 years old. Dale Earnhardt Sr. right now will be 42 in October. So if you do the math there, you say, well, he's 42 in October. That means seven years. Eh." You know, what does Dale Earnhardt Jr. have in mind? Does he have in mind five more years? I personally think now his contract runs out after the 2017 season. I don't know if I said that earlier. Um, and he's got to renew. I think we're going to see another three-year contract from Dale Earnhardt Jr., a three-year extension. But after that, it could be interesting, John Harlow, to see what exactly goes on with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, in, in his contract situation going forward with Hendrick Motorsports. Here's the one thing you can count on. As long as Rick Hendrick wants Dale Jr. at Hendrick Motorsports, Dale Jr. will be at Hendrick Motorsports until he doesn't want to race anymore. Dale Jr. brings too much money in. Rick Hendrick, actually, if you think about it, probably funds Dale Jr.'s car and part of the five car off of Dale Jr.'s sponsorship. Dale Jr. is still the face of NASCAR. Dale Jr. is still the one person that everybody recognizes. When you say Dale Jr., He's one of those names that people know. I think the three-year deal probably, and then he'll reevaluate again when he's 45. But one of the things that was also in that article, he was talking about once he gets out of a cup car, he wouldn't mind Mm -hmm. driving for junior motorsports. But he also said probably not in the Xfinity level. It might be at the late model level. I think he may do the Tony Stewart route whenever he gets done. And whenever he gets done cup racing, he'll have his Xfinity team 
but he's going to drive late models or go to the short tracks and just enjoy himself. And the pressure of being Dale Earnhardt Jr. is not easy because no matter what, he's living in the shadow of his dad. He hasn't lived up to the expectations that everybody thought of it because when he came up, he was a two-time Xfinity champion. He walked into great equipment. He won in his rookie year. He was going to be the face of NASCAR. And then Dad died. Mm-hmm. And it just... Teresa was Teresa, and everything went the way they did. So it just I, – I could see Junior doing three more years, and if he's still having fun, keep doing it. But I don't think Rick Hendrick's ever going to say, there's not a home for you here because of the money that Junior brings in. I, I think you're right on that, 917-889-8280. I think you're right. I think um, the way Hendrick would look at it is – you know, hey, this is a guy who brings in sponsorship money. He runs well enough to where he can compete for a championship every year, um, makes a chase every year, does wins a few races every year. This is a guy who I can't let get away because he just brings – he's so valuable to my organization. You know, he's lost a big name last year with Jeff Gordon. Now, Chase Elliott filled that void very, very well. Um, and, his, you know, he's got the name of Elliott with a lot of people rooted for his father. His father was very, very popular. Um and he's got Napa Auto Parts behind him, and Chase looks like he's going to win a lot of races in this series as well. So that's a big thing. And I think what Rick, what they're ultimately trying to do is, and I think it's something to keep an eye on for Hendrick Motorsports here, is once this contract gets inked, once you hear Dale Earnhardt Jr. is re-upped through the 2020-2021 season, I think it's going to be a crucial next move for Hendrick Motorsports to start figuring out Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s replacement. And you're saying that's three years down the road. What are you talking about? Well, if he wants to get a young kid in that car, he's going to have to figure out a way to get him in Xfinity, in trucks, even late models. Remember, Chase Elliott, he signed Chase Elliott three, four years ago, maybe with the intention of replacing him with Jeff Gordon. Now, the value that Hendrick Motorsports has is that everybody and anybody's going to want to race there. So if he's got a young, aside from maybe somebody that Joe gets racing like uh, Eric Jones or somebody like that, but if there's a young kid out there at Rashford Racing who he really likes and says, hey, he's a really good kid, uh, he's going to outspend him. He's going to move him into an Xfinity car with Dale Earnhardt Jr., and that is the guy they're going to make. Now, that to me is what the interesting part is because once this contract is inked, I think you're going to start to figure out or start to maybe hear whispers about Hendrick Motorsports' next move, and that would be to replace Dale Earnhardt Jr. because this sport moves so fast, and three, four years down the road, these owners have to work that way, especially if it's going to be a young kid. And I think that's something to keep an eye on. Well, the one thing that, not just that, if you look three, four years down the road, Rick Hendrick's going to be 70. What is the succession plan of Hendrick Motorsports continuing? Ricky died in the plane crash. He, They were building the team. Rick actually was planning to be out in the lake most of the time, and Ricky should be running the teams by now. Who is taking over whenever Rick decides to go away and say, okay, I've had enough, I'm going to just sit back, retire, and enjoy life? That's another problem that we've talked about before that I see coming down the pipeline. Roger Penske's no young buck. Jack Roush is no young buck. Joe Gibbs is no young buck. And especially with J.D. being sick the way it is, they're trying to groom Coy into taking over. Who's the next breed of owners? And I think you've got what... Junior coming to contract time. I think Junior stays as long as Rick wants him to. The next question is, how long does Rick want to stay? Is Jeff is Jeff Gordon going to be the next owner of Hendrick Motorsports? Is Ray Evernham going to take over? Who's it going to be? And that's that another question, not just for the contract to Junior, the whole sanctity of Hendrick Motorsports, what happens in five, ten years when Rick is 70, 75, when does he decide to pull the plug? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I think with this um, franchising format we have now with the chartering system in NASCAR in place in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, I think that'll help ease the blow a little bit because you know, with these charters come the, come the drivers, come the sponsorships, come all that, and Rick's a very, very, very intelligent man. He's not going to leave it 
uh, to some slouch, and it could, you know, it could be somebody we don't even see. You know, maybe even somebody like Chad Knauss, who might sit there and say, you know what, I want to get out of the crew chief ranks here in a couple of years, take a lead role at Hendrick Motorsports, and then Rick says, I'm getting out, and Chad takes over. Um, I, I could totally see that, but, you know, there, there's a lot of options there, but uh, to me, Dale Jr. is a very interesting conversation because a lot of people love him, uh, and he hasn't won a championship yet. And this is gonna this is gonna be interesting because I think what Junior Nation has to start realizing you have to start to wonder if panic mode is gonna start to set in with this with this fan base where obviously winning a championship is very important in this sport to a lot of people. Um, it makes you relevant in a lot of people's eyes. Dale's won a lot of races in his career, um, but he's never come in and said, you know, it has won that championship in the Sprint Cup Series. My question to you, John Harlow, is if he doesn't win a championship, will that hurt his legacy? I think if he doesn't, if he wins a championship, he builds a legacy. I don't think Dale, I mean, we've talked about it before. At this point in time, when it comes to numbers and everything, I don't think Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a Hall of Famer. Unless you're counting how many times he won the most popular driver competition. But he, as a driver, is not Hall of Fame worthy. I really don't think so. Mm. I mean, what's he got, a grand total of 18, 20 wins? Uh, Nothing spectacular. I'm trying to look it up right now as we're talking. Yeah, I think I think he's got a little bit higher than that. And right now, he's he's around, I believe, 25. If I had a guess, but um, it's just an error, you know. 24. When you look at 24 wins, exactly. When you look at Benny Parsons, for example, who just got in the Hall of Fame, Benny, I believe, has somewhere around 18 wins, and Benny got in. And now Benny got a lot of credit for getting in the Hall of Fame because of his broadcasting expertise, but still, he had 18 wins, so it's, again, we won't know whether or not Dylan Hunt Jr. salad for Hall of Fame, in my opinion, until way after he retires, um, and we start to see what other drivers get in, what other, you know, how far down the line will these people go, putting you know, people in, I think that is a debate for another day, honestly, but uh, I do think it hurts his legacy if he doesn't win a championship, because this is why you do it. You do it to win a championship. You don't do it just to go out there and, um, you know, finish in the top ten in points a couple of times. And I think Dale Jr. ultimately really wants to win a championship. And you have to wonder about when age is going to start to kick in here with him, if he starts to get a little bit fatigued toward the end of the year. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see here. And, you know, the fact that if if he signs this contract, and I think I'll look at it to me at least, I'll look at it as, well, that's the last chance Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to, cha- to win a championship. So these ne- it's almost like desperation mode hits in there because these next three or four years are going to be essential for him in that 88 car moving forward. I just think it's going to be very interesting to see here. And some of those comments, the fact that he said he's not going to run as long as his dad did, lets you know that you know he doesn't have eight years left in him. He doesn't have maybe even six years left in him. So it's something very interesting to keep an eye on here moving forward. Um, we moved to Michigan this weekend, Michigan International Raceway. Uh, I got a trivia question here for you, John Harlow. I want to see if you can get this. And one of our um, producers who used to work on this show actually brought this up to me a couple of weeks ago. And I want to see if you can get it. Um, Michigan, of all the, the racetracks, has had a first-time winner. Um, Michigan Speedway is among people who've had a first-time winner. But do you know the last time... Michigan had a first-time winner, and who it was? Oh, it it was. Oh my God, it's it's been probably twenty years, mm-hmm. if not longer. I don't know who it might have been, but it was probably at least twenty years ago. Well, it was with the Wood Brothers, and he did it in nineteen ninety-one. He beat Davy Allison to the line, and, Dale he, and it was Dale Dale Jarrett. Yes, and. When you think about that, you go, man, 1991 was the last time we had a first-time winner at Michigan. Um, it's crazy to think about because of all the te- of all the racetracks that have had first-time winners, Michigan's uh, la- the, the longest we've gone without a first-time winner. It's kind of crazy because that's a mile and a half, tr- that's a two-mile track, runs a mile and a half track. It, it, you know, 
a lot of horsepower. It takes a lot of it to get around there. Um, so it's kind of interesting. You look at it and you go, well, you thought maybe Martinsville, which is a, a big-time you know, track where you know veterans win there a lot, same thing with Darlington and stuff like that. Um, but it was actually Michigan because Dale Jarrett won it with the Wood Brothers in 1991. Um, so my this leads into my next question. Do Ryan Blaine and Chase Elliott have a chance to break that uh, and, and put their name into the first-time winners category at, at Michigan National Speedway this weekend? I think if anybody does, it's Blaney. I think Chase will be good. I think if anybody does, it's Blaney. If, and if there's one place that Penske focuses on other than Indy, it's Michigan because it's the first track he built. Mm-hmm. And I think they will go and throw their best stuff out here for Michigan. And I think this new, again, a new aero package, I think it'll bring better racing. And I think they'll be able to do a lot of drafting there and do fine. I think it'll be a really good race. I'm looking forward to it. Once you brought up the trivia question, though, it's like I'm look. I looked up Michigan International Speedway on Wikipedia. It's like the the track has to be cursed <laughs> because I'm looking. They have a big list of notable ex. I mean, accidents. Merle Bettenhauser. Merle Bettenhausen in '72 wrecked, ended his racing career. Al Holbert lost his racing, ended his racing career in the IROC series. A.J. Foyt almost lost an arm. Chip Ganassi wrecked with Al Jr. in 84 and ended his driving career. I mean, Clifford Allison was killed in an accident there. Ernie Irvin was out for how long for his driving career mm-hmm. because of an accident there. I mean, it's a tough track. You go fast, and that sudden stop at the end is not good. Yeah, speeds are high, and, we, and, and we're fortunate because... We're in a much better spot now in this sport where than we were 15, 20 years ago as far as safety is concerned. But anytime you run on a track that's got high speeds like Michigan, that abrupt stop is huge. And uh, you're right. I mean, there were some scary wrecks. I mean, Ernie Irvin's, you know, that hits close home to me because he did it twice. You know, he did it in 99-2 and that ended mm-hmm. his career as well. And um, it, it was something that, you know, he was very lucky to be with us still to this day. And if a uh, medical personnel at the racetrack doesn't perform the procedure he performed on Ernie Irvin. Ernie Irvin is no longer with us, and uh, it was. And you know, when I think of Michigan, uh, I think of two things. I think of Bill Elliott's dominance in the '80s at that racetrack because Bill just whipped them at Michigan, and I think of the '97 win of Ernie Irvin because you know, and I was a Bill Elliott fan growing up, and Bill finished second to Ernie Irvin that day, but. I was kind of happy when Ernie won because there was a guy who, like I said, almost lost his life in 94, and he battled back and kind of, you know, it was triumphant. He wasn't nearly as good as he was earlier in 94. You know, remember in 94, he was running for a championship when he got hurt at Michigan. He was right on Dale Earnhardt's heels and, uh, you know, came back came back towards the end of 95. 96 wasn't a great year. did okay. 97, you could kind of see the team falling apart. He lost Nick Reynolds. And then uh, he moved on to NB2 Motorsports, and then, of course, he had a record in Xfinity race uh, in the Bush Series back then in 99 and the end of his career. But when I think of Michigan, I think of that 97 win, John Hollow. That was something special when Ernie Irvin did that. I thought it was amazing. I was, uh, growing up, I was a Davey Allison fan. And then I stayed with the 28 car when Ernie went in there. And when Ernie wrecked, I was sort of in La La Land, didn't know who to pick until Stewart got into the Cup Series. So I was always a fan of the 28 car when it was Robert Yates racing. I loved watching Ernie run that car. I loved watching Davey run that car. And I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be – I'm really interested. This package is going to be really interesting because was it just Charlotte? You know, uh, what are we going to see? Michigan last year, if you remember, we put that high drag package, which was a disaster, uh, in there. And we're going with a little bit of a different package, a package that should be a lot of fun, should be a lot, should be very racy, and I'm going to be interested to see. You know, to me, you don't really know who's going to run good. Uh, I think Penske is definitely a, a, a team because you look at the all-star race, Logano won it. Gilaski had a big, couple of big days, uh, ran really good there as well. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think Penske is going to be a team to look out for, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. 
I want to thank John Harlow. He does a great job every week. Uh, I want to thank the fans for listening to the show. And we'll be back here next week after Michigan to break it all down for you here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. Hope you enjoyed tonight's show.